Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Kerr, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Kerr. Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, deliberate two rather than my previous three. Don't forget, let me know what you think to this. Do you prefer two on the panel or three? Tonight's twosome. Uh, we've got Daniel Moylan, who is the former advisor to Boris Johnson, and Dr. Lisa McKenzie, the ethnographer and the academic. Uh, you know the drill as well on Jubes & Co. It's not just about us three. It is about you as well at home. What is on your mind tonight? Get in touch with me. You can email me, gbviews at gbnews.uk is the email. You can tweet me at gbnews or at Michelle Jubes, if that is your thing. Is Twitter your thing? Uh, get in touch with me, by the way. Use your email and tell me, are you a tweeter or not? Is it still is it still your kind of thing? Elon Musk, uh, he's in a bit of trouble at the moment. He's supposed to be buying it. Uh, apparently he's not. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Apparently, he says, it's just full of a lot of fake users. So I want to know who out there, who are you? Do you use Twitter? We'll be talking about social media a bit later on in the programme when I'm asking you about the online safety bill because uh, social media has been having a little bit of a kicking. And apparently this bill is going to help save us all from being abused and all the rest of it. But yeah, it has many critics. So do get in touch. Let me know what you think to that. Uh, Lisa, hello. Look at us all, by the way. What a bright panel we are, bringing we're, the sunshine in. We are, I, I, yeah, I, I aren't we? Couldn't get my hair up to Lisa's. Well, so no one, <laughs> no one can get their hair up to uh, the brightness achieved I'm by a, Lisa McKenzie. I'm replicating the sun. You're replicating the sun. You are. <laughs> You're bringing it the sun indoors to GB News, and we appreciate it. Uh, I hear that you were cancelled the other day, Lisa. Yes, I've been cancelled by cancelled. by the Anarchist Book Fair in London. Um, tell us why. Um, I asked them if I could have a stall to sell my new book, which yes. is a, which is a, has been done by a collective. We've DIY'd it, so it's very anarchist. Um, and they've told me, well, they said I was disinclined to have a stall because of my media appearances on GB News, but also that I've written for Spiked. How appalling is that, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, she's not allowed a stand to promote a book because she's been here on GB News. It's not putting her off because she's back again. I've done it on spite. Yeah, how appalling <laughs> is that? I know, I know. It's, it's been an ongoing thing. You know, the sorts of things, you know, where can you speak? Where can you have debates? Who can you have debates with? It's an ongoing thing. Yeah, and I've got to say, um, a lot of people do tend to, on occasion, criticise GB News. And it makes me laugh because the people that are doing the criticising, they are doing the very things that they're accusing GB News of. So they're trying to silence us, uh, calling us bigoted or whatever, this, that and the other. It's those people that are acting in a bigoted way because here at GB News, certainly, uh, we believe in free speech, different opinions, respectful uh, disagreements, don't we? Lord Moylan. Yeah, we do. We do. Respectful is, is key to it. And I think, actually, more people should be willing to almost cross to the other side and debate people that they don't agree with, that they might not ordinarily come in contact with, because it's yeah, only from that kind of approach, I think, that you start understanding things better, moving things forward. Yeah, abs absolutely. And, you know, I'm really... Not angry or sad, actually, because it's quite expected. But that there are people that won't sort of move out of their own bubble to hear what other people have got to say. And I think that's really important to do that, which is why I come here. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, go on then, name your book. Seeing as the what let you plug it there, you can plug it on here. Go on, what is it? Well, that? it's actually, it's by, it's by the Working Class Collective and it's called The Lockdown Diaries of the Working Class. I've got a copy, actually. It's bright yellow, isn't it? It is, yes. How did you get that? And it says a swear word on the <laughs> oh, thing, Jessica. ladies and gentlemen. So if yes. you are offended by uh, swear words, the little bookmark in that book is not for you, young That's lady. That's right, yeah. Your mouth out was well, I didn't telling. say that. That was that was a diarist that said that. Mm. I won't tell you what the rude word is, everyone, because it's, uh, it's tea time, isn't it? But anyway, Lisa, welcome. You are very welcome. Nice Thank to you. Have you. Uh, right, let's get into the top story, shall we? The leadership contest. Peter, you were on my first emails tonight. You've been straight in touch saying you are disappointed that Suella has been eliminated. A true Brexiteer, you say, and you hope that she guides her support over to Kemi. Uh, so, yes, in case you missed it, Suella Braveman has been eliminated. We're now down to five candidates. Let's recap, shall we, who they are. You've got Rishi Sunak, Penny Mordaunt, Liz Truss, Kemi Badenoch and Tom Tugendhat. There you go, five. Uh, I'll start with you, Lord Moylan. Out of those five, do you have a favourite? Do you know who you're backing? Well, my favourite was Suella Braverman, and I was working um, to help her. And, uh, of course, she was knocked out at about three o'clock this afternoon, so I don't have a favourite anymore. Uh, the Conservative Party is definitely paying the price of getting rid of vote-winning Boris Johnson without a clue as to what they're going to do next. And we have uh, some, a very serious prospect. Uh, uh, the first thing I'll say is that Rishi Sunak, however popular he is with the MPs, in my view, from my contacts, he's deeply unpopular with the members of the party. Mm. So if he's in the final two, there's a very good chance that whoever the other person is will win. At the moment, it's looking like that person could be, could be Penny Mordaunt. But David Frost came out today and said she was an incompetent minister. And I know from my own experience, when I was um, a de deputy council leader, uh, we hired her to be the director of comms. Admittedly, this is 20 years ago. Um, and we had to get rid of her after a few months because she was incompetent. Now, you could have said... What do you mean 20... you got rid of her? You had well, to fire her? Well, we asked her gently. We hired her and then we... Then she wasn't... You lord sugared her? ...anymore. I, no, it was all very politely done, I'm sure. Um, the, but the, the, not Lord Sugar shouting. But she didn't stay. And she didn't stay because she couldn't do the job. Now, you could say that's 20 years ago. Maybe she's changed, she's grown up, she's learned. But then you've got Lord Frost today saying she's no better today. And I'm seriously worried that if Rishi and Penny Mordaunt are in the final two, she might actually win. So who does that leave? Well, it leaves Christopher... Um, not Christopher, sorry. Tom Tugendhat, who I don't think has... I, I mean... All we can say about Tom Tugendhat at the moment is that he hasn't really got traction. He's, he's in by the skin of his teeth. Uh, nobody, I think, really thinks he's going to be in the last two. And that leaves um, Liz Truss and Kemi Badenoch. I would have loved someone like um, Suella or even Kemi, if I'm not just not sure of Kemi's views on a host of things, but I'd have loved a fresh face. I'd have loved a younger face. I'd have been very happy with a female, um, could be female or male, but a female face, been really good. And, and I think Kemi Badenoch would have been a really interesting one. But Liz Truss is probably a bit sounder on, um, on Brexit issues. Rishi Sunak, fine and nice guy, but he's going to have real problems cutting through, I think, with ordinary people. I don't actually know what he stands for or why he wants to be prime minister, except that it's his turn. He thinks it's his turn. And as I say, I think he's going to struggle with the membership anyway. 
Yeah, just to give you a, a bit of a flavour, by the way, as to where people came on this kind of ballot today. So Rishi Sunak uh, came first. I mean, I'm saying it as though it's like some kind of under-12 swimming competition. It's obviously not. Uh, but, you know, so Rishi Sunak came first. He got 101 votes, and it, that was a gain of 13 uh, from the previous one. Penny Morden uh, got 83, which is she got a gain of 16. Liz Truss got 64 votes, which was a gain of 14. Uh, Kemi Badenoch got 49, which was an increase of nine. Tom Tugendhat got 32, which was a loss, actually, of five from the previous ballot. Uh, and Suella, uh, Braveman, we've just been discussing there, got 27, which was also a loss of five from the previous ballot. And, I mean, the real growth there was uh, people like your Rishis, your, your Penny Mordant. And I do... My inbox yesterday was really echoing what you're saying Daniel, a lot of people were saying that they are Tory party members themselves. And, and do let me know that tonight. If you are someone that will be voting because you are a Tory party member, let me know that. Uh, and let me know who you're thinking of voting for. But a lot of people were saying that they were Tory party members and they wouldn't back Rishi. They felt very strongly about that. So it would be anyone other than Rishi was a sentiment that was coming through and on the inbox yesterday. it's central to getting rid of Boris. Yeah. Because even people who think... Even Tory party members who thought Boris's time was up think the way in which he was treated was shoddy beyond belief. Lisa, yeah. where do you stand on it? Well, I'm just a spectator on, on all of this. I'm, you know, I'm not obviously not a Tory supporter or a member or, you yeah, know... it's going to be your next prime Oh, yeah, absolutely, and that's why I'm a spectator. I'm, I'm watching it from, I suppose, the position of the next prime minister rather than the next sort of Tory leader. Um... I'll tell you what worries me about all of this is the amount of tax cutting that each uh, candidate is talking about. You know, these we're going to keep, we're going to cut taxes, we're going to cut taxes. That worries me just because whenever we've had low tax Tories in the past, it comes with austerity. And I am concerned that with the cost of living crisis that we've got now and then with, you know, pledges to cut taxes for some, it may leave us in a worse position. So I'm just watching all of them really to see what their views are on the cost of living crisis. And I think the cost of living crisis, people's everyday lives sort of coming a bit secondary in this debate in the same way that it did in the Labour Party um, leadership election when it got, I don't know if you remember the Labour Party leadership election when it was Keir Starmer, when it absolutely ravelled itself up with issues around trans and Palestine in particular. And actually what that did is turn people off because most people are not interested in those things. They're interested in their everyday things. And that's what I'm watching for with this leadership um, race, is who is going to do something about the cost of living crisis? Yeah, but, but Lisa, you're, you're wrong to say it's being ignored, because the cost of living crisis is at the heart of the argument about tax. Because the people who are saying you want to cut taxes are saying you need to cut the taxes that people are paying on things like fuel. You need to cut things like VAT. And, and so on, because it will help people with the cost of living crisis. And they're criticising Rishi because he wants to stick with the high taxes we've got. Mm. I mean, it's hard for him to back away from them because he was the Chancellor who introduced them. But he wants to stick with the high taxes and, and start to pay off debt. So it's actually... The cost of living crisis is at the heart of this whole tax thing. So if you want high taxes, that's fine. You want to support Rishi. If, if you want to help people with the cost of living crisis, however, you might want low taxes. That's yeah. what you've got to think through, because there's so people who pay the taxes. And, I'm, and, I'm and I think, you know, uh, ta the tax cuts on petrol, you know, 
perhaps VAT cuts, but I think they've got to be very clear in the when they go into the um, studios and start debating on where these tax cuts are going to go, because the last thing we need is tax cuts that come out of uh, local communities, that come out of hospitals or that come out of schools. So, you know, we need to make sure that the tax cuts are not cutting on public services or welfare, but actually they're sensible tax cuts. And, you know, I'm just not sure that the next Tory Prime Minister will, you know, will do that. They'll protect the services. Do you think the, Tor think the Tories are out of touch with the people that are struggling? Um, yes. I mean, yeah, but, I, but this is not just the Tories. I mean, I think everyone in Westminster is out of touch with what's happening. I also think people in the media bubbles are completely out of touch with what's happening. You know, today before I came here, I phoned up a lot of my friends who... I thought might get that payment because they're either low pay or they're on a universal credit. And none of them have got it. And I'm not sure who, who's getting it. And I think this is one of the things with... I've got the answer. Oh, have you? Good. Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, so the first tranche, this is, uh, so this is the main cost of living payment that we're talking about today. It's worth £650 in total. The first tranche is getting paid uh, starting from today, £326. Uh, 8.2 million households are eligible for that. And it, it affects people like uh, that are on universal credit, income-based job seekers allowance, uh, ESA, income support, pension credits, child uh, tax credit, working tax credit. Apparently, uh, you have to, in order to be um, entitled to get it, you have to be receiving the benefit payments for an assessment period ending between the 26th of April 2022 and the 25th of May 2022. Apparently, don't need to do anything in order right. to apply. It just gets deposited into your account. Chris, one of my viewers, actually has emailed in, said, Michelle, I'm on ESA and I wasn't expecting to receive the grant because I'm not the main bill, pay bill payer in my house at the moment. But, uh, he says, I did receive a grant and I was most surprised. I have put a good amount aside into a pot with my parents to help me save up for furniture and essential supplies for moving into supported living placement. That says Chris. Uh, what about you? Anyone else? Did anyone else get their three hundred and twenty odd pounds today? Does that answer some of your questions? Yeah, I'm really pleased that someone's got it and that it's coming out. It's getting it's getting out there. Yeah, and also, by the way, this is just there's a few different layers of of money being given out at the moment. So that there's that one that I've just referenced. There's the pensioner payment worth three hundred pounds for everyone who receives the winter fuel payment. That's due in November. Uh, the disability payment worth £150 for those on non-means-tested disability benefits. That's due in September. And then the second part of that 650 quid that I mentioned a minute ago, that's going to be due in the autumn as well. So that'll be £324. Um, do you, is that enough? Those kind of measures that I've just been mentioning? It's never enough, but the government can't do everything. And um, the fact that it's doing uh, something, I think, is, is, is commendable. But we're not going to get out of this unless the government is also focusing on growing the economy. Um, and that means an improved regulatory environment, taking advantage of leaving the European Union so that we can change regulations, encouraging, encouraging a spirit of entrepreneurialism. Um, and we see very little signs of that. And not a lot of talk about it in the leadership election either. Mm, I agree, actually. Especially, I mean, I remember the, the old... Um... Do you remember the YOP schemes? This is in the 80s. No, uh, I'm way too young. <laughs> and, and actually, there used to be grants uh, for young people setting up their own businesses. There used to be quite a lot of support for that. Mm. Um, 
actually a few of the DJs, the big DJs now, uh, Carl Cox, and if, you, if any of your viewers know who Carl Cox is, he's a dance DJ. He set up his own business in the very early 90s to be a DJ. I mean, and now he's, you know, world famous. And what do you think about the whole levelling up thing, uh, Lisa? Because one of the things that apparently Boris Johnson was quite hot on uh, was this whole kind of we're going to make everywhere equal and anyone that sits in uh, London that has a foot in London and a foot up north, for example, you will know that the yeah. difference between the two is immense. Do you think uh, whoever it is is going to be the next prime minister? Do you reckon they're going to be able to make much of a dent into sorting that out? I think where the Conservative Party are now is probably where the Labour Party has been for a long time. They're going to tr they've got to try and please lots of different groups. Um, and one of those groups are the new sort of Tory voters in the Red Wall. They need levelling up. You, both of us know what's happening in the North and in the sort of North Midlands. They desperately need the levelling up agenda to, to work and to go ahead. I'm not sure any of the candidates are talking about that much. Um, and the people, the voters on the red walls will be listening. They'll be listening very, very carefully. You know, what is going to happen to us? Because as the cost of living crisis starts to eat in, it will hurt the people that have the least. Well, uh, and actually, the people in the red walls are the deindustrialized people, people that used to have jobs in steelworks and factories and mines. Um, yeah, they are. <laughs> James has been in touch saying, when you're talking about tax cuts, there should be tax cuts for everyday people first and businesses second. What do you make of the whole uh, levelling up thing? Look, I think levelling up as an economic prospect, as a sort of levelling out throughout the country, um, is a very worthwhile objective. If we're honest about it, it would take 10, 20, 30 years to achieve it because these are big tectonic shifts you're talking about and they involve quite a lot of money potentially. I think there's a whole side to the levelling up agenda this government missed, and it missed it under Boris, uh, which can be delivered more quickly, which is actually to do with empowerment and respect and actually having people feeling that they're having their voices listened to. And I don't think that means just give them another layer of regional government. I think there are other things that need doing so that people feel that they're being listened to and they're being respected. Like what? And, the, uh, and the whole, a lot of it's to do with local decision-making and giving people a say. And I don't claim to be an expert in this, but it isn't necessarily about all about spending money. It's about your attitude to people. And I think what people have seen who voted for Brexit in 2016, uh, and they're continuing to see, even in this uh, election that's going on at the moment, is that they're not, they're not important. They're not, being, they're not considered part of the debate. Um, they're, not, they're not being involved anymore. And I think that is a huge trick that the Conservatives have missed. I'm afraid I think Boris missed it. And I think it's really, really important because if you can get it going, it is deliverable fairly quickly and without spending a huge amount of money that you don't have. Yeah, I'm not sure, as a northerner myself, I'm not sure anyone actually really takes this uh, levelling up stuff seriously. And to me, it feels like a trendy slogan that people say when yeah. they say, oh, the northern powerhouse, yeah. you know, all this and all that and all the other. The Tories have had power of this, uh, over this country for over a decade and actually, we're still sitting here today saying, yes, levelling up, it's really important to us. Well, if it was that important to you, uh, you'd have cracked on with doing something about it in the period of over a decade that the Tories have yeah, had been, power. I think, I think, no, Michelle, Northern Powerhouse was an idea about cities and about 
if London is successful, this is the idea, if London mm -hmm. is successful because it's a big city and it's an agglomeration of people, mm -hmm. can you replicate the same thing in a, in a Manchester with all the towns around it and get a, get a, it won't be as big as London because there aren't enough people, but could you make that quite successful? And I think there's been some success there. The real problem with, if you like, is leveling up is not the Manchesters or the Birminghams. Mm. The real problem is that in doing that quite successfully, the Conservatives never got round to all those small towns, the coastal towns, the seaside towns, the middling size areas for which we didn't have anything until we, we thought up this idea of leveling up. We haven't delivered enough on it. We need to focus on it more. We need to understand what we're doing. And as I'm, I'm just saying, it's not all about money. Yeah, and it's just the, and the whole levelling up. I mean, I remember conversations about HS2 and things. It's all about how do you get people to London yeah. quicker. Well, it's like you're kind of missing the point there because levelling up is not about how do I ship all these northerners into London quicker. It's how do I stop these northerners and, and beyond and Midlands or whatever having to need to be in London to achieve and prosper in the first place. Julie's another one that's emailed me. She says, I got my £326 today and I've put it straight away for fuel in the winter. Uh, when I get my next tranche in the autumn, that will be going straight away for fuel as well. There's a sense, uh, absolutely, that people are worried uh, about fuel. I mean, rightly so, let's face it, it's going to be going up, isn't it, as we're going to the autumn and into the winter. Lots of support, by the way, on chem for Kemi. Uh, Bade knock on the email. Lots of you wanting hair to win. Robert says Kemi is the new Margaret Thatcher. Is she, in your mind, the new Margaret Thatcher? I don't know, but I think she's a really interesting, intelligent person and, and, and an attractive figure. And I just want somebody who, uh, I'm speaking as a conservative, I want somebody who actually believes in something, believes in a real conservatism, and has a toughness of character to deliver it when, when the civil servants don't necessarily want to. And I think Kemi could, I think... Liz Truss might be able to. I absolutely don't think Penny Mordaunt is remotely in that place. And my worry about Rishi is I still haven't worked out into the campaign quite what he does believe in. Nicholas has emailed in, so Michelle, my wife and I are both party members. We do not want to see Rishi in the final two. We want it to be Liz v Kemi, and we hope that Kemi goes on to win. Uh, Sean says, as a Conservative Party member, I wouldn't vote for either Rishi or Penny. Looks like I might have to abstain or spoil my ballot. Gary says, the only true Brexiteer, Suella, is gone. It just shows you the Conservative Party is no longer Conservative, but more like the Liberal Socialists. Interesting. Ian says, Tugendhat must stand down now after dropping votes. And he says, it's pathetic, he's continuing, just for his own ego. Oh, harsh, Ian. Keep your thoughts coming in. GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email address. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes. Now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk to you about the online safety bill. It's now been delayed until the autumn. Should it have been, or is it way too important to be delayed? We'll have that and more after the break. I'll see you in a couple of minutes. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubry. Lots of emails flying in about the leadership contest for the who is going to be our next Prime Minister. There is a real strong sense coming through from you that if you're uh, Tory members, you wouldn't vote for Rishi. Um, 
Danuta, I think I pronounced that right, says, I'm a Tory member and I will be voting for Penny. Sunak is a snake and he stabbed Boris in the back. And that's the point that you were just making, oh. Daniel Moylan, wasn't it? I think a lot of people see it that way. Yeah, I do. I think that um, lots of people, lots of members, party members seem to see it that way. Uh, lots of MPs, obviously, backing Rishi. As I mentioned earlier on, he got over 100 uh, votes in the ballot today and he was the front runner, closely followed by uh, Penny Morden in second place. Uh, anyway, just in case you've joined us and you're thinking, who is sitting next to Michelle? We've got Daniel Moylan, who is the former advisor to Boris Johnson, and Dr Lisa McKenzie, uh, an ethnographer and academic. So good evening, both of you again. Yeah. Uh, let's talk online safety, shall we? Are you a, a social media user? Uh, I think, uh, Hillary, you mentioned, you've emailed in and said that you was on Twitter, but you got banned. I dread to think. I dread to think. Uh, so that's that's a no from Hillary. But are you a user of things like social media? Do you enjoy being on there? Do you think it's a little bit like the Wild West? Do you think uh, we need to clamp down, put some more rules and boundaries? Or do you think it's free speech? Anything goes. Where do you stand on this whole thing? Because I know it does divide uh, quite a few people. And the online safety bill was due to complete its passage to become law by next week. But it's now been delayed until the autumn. Uh, again, this delay has divided people online. Uh, safety campaigners say this is way too important, should never have been delayed. Uh, the opponents say, no, it's too important. Uh, it shouldn't be rushed through. And I've heard a lot of other people saying, get rid of it altogether. Where do you stand on it all? Uh, Daniel, do you want to pick up, actually? I was about to turn yeah. to Daniel, but I heard an intake of breath. I'll start with you, Lisa. Um... I don't know. I think they've been trying to put this together for about 20 years. Aren't they? For at least 20 years, people have said, you know, we need the internet to be safer and more secure. So I think they've been trying to put this to pull together for 20 odd years. And I'm not sure. And I, I was thinking about this today. I said to the researcher on the phone, I, was, I made a real gaffe, actually. I said, because it's online, you know, we should think about safety online. And if there was... Uh, and I was thinking about particularly grooming children online. And I said, you know, if, if there was gangs of men grooming children not online in, in the real world, you know, we would have uh, immediate laws to sort that out. Well, I don't I know. know. If you, not if you live in places yeah, like Yeah, I know. And the, minute, you wouldn't. and the minute I said it, I thought, actually, no, we wouldn't. We wouldn't do that. Um, but I do think that... Obviously, I'm online quite a lot. I use Twitter quite a lot. Um, and there is some awful things that happen online. You know, people do get bullied and take their own lives. Um, there's a lot of really nasty websites as well. Uh, I remember talking to a young woman who had been quite addicted to the websites about um, being thin and, you know, t and telling you sort of tips about how to be thinner and thinner and thinner. So I do, th I do think that there should be um, some sort of protections there, more than we've got already. I don't think we can leave it to Facebook or Twitter to police themselves because they've not done it so far. Do you know, if I was in charge of the UK, and I often say, Daniel, it's uh, a, a good job for everyone, I'm not. I would really try and force through a simple change when it comes to things like social media platforms. And that would be, you cannot set up an anonymous account, a truly anonymous account. Because that, for me, if you took away people just being able to mm. call themselves, I'm Bob the Builder, mm. you know, no, you're not. 
Um, and if you actually had to be who you said that you are at the point of registering, so if anyone wants to say to me, oh, Michelle, some people need to be anonymous, you could present anonymously, so you could disguise yourself at the point of what people would see, but to set up the account in the first place, you had to uh, be validated, you had to be who you say that you are, I think that would immediately stop a lot of the problems that we experience. And I think it's a wonderful idea. And if I was ever elected as the Prime Minister, uh, that's one of the things that I would try and create. Well, what I do you make to that? Because there are a number, I can think of five people at the moment who are looking for popular ideas. Um, and so you could just pop that on an email to all of them. It could be law by the end of the month. No, because no, then they'd claim it as their own good idea and yeah, I wouldn't get will, any glory. You're, you're on the telly, you get in there first. Look, let's we'll start with the bill. This is one of the worst, most catastrophic bills to be bought, brought before Parliament. It is not any right that it should have been delayed. It should be absolutely scratched and start all over again. It turns uh, the big Twitter, Facebook companies into policemen of our lives. They will police what we do. They will police it through algorithms which can never be subtle enough to pick up what people are saying. So whole swathes of people... Do you not think that they do that out. already, people like they, Twitter? They do, but they will do it now with the force of law. And because it'll be a legal obligation on them, they will do it err on the cautious side. So it will become... You will reduce Twitter to somewhere that will be OK for sending Mother's Day greetings. That'll go just about OK. And, and, and nothing very much beyond that, because that this is going to kill social media entirely, and nobody will want, to part, will want to be part of it. But, of course, it won't kill it, because it's like when the printing press was invented and people tried to ban books and whatever. Uh, you, 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 people are going to get around it. They'll say, we won't use Twitter. They'll go all the way around it. You have these VPNs, don't ask me the technology, VPNs and other ways of getting around behind the back of Internet communications anonymously, and that's what people will do. So this, this is a totally disastrous bill. It also creates an, a whole set of offences of things that are called legal but harmful. Mm. So there'll be legal things that Lisa will be able to say in her university environment. But if she then put her lecture on Twitter, it would become it would actually have to be taken off. That's happening already, actually. I mean, that's, that's already happening, but that's happening because of um, people sort of uh, fears of getting sued or... or I shouldn't really say this, but... Oh, say it. <laughs> but I did, I did work at a university not so long ago and um, the university was watching my Twitter account and I got into a lot of trouble and got taken through uh, the... Disciplinary. disciplinary. Why? What, what did you do? Uh, I, I, do you know what? It's, I wrote an article about universities being middle class and being toxic for working-class people. Um, and I said that they were toxic for working-class people if you were worked as a cleaner or if you were a student or if you were an academic like me. Um, and the university said that it was bringing the university into dis disrepute. What is? Your reporting of their policies? Is well, me, me, me saying that universities were toxic for working-class people. It, I worked at a very elite university and they felt that I was bringing the elite university into disrepute. And so I was taken through disciplinary for that. So that is already happening. Well, blimey, you're, you're in <laughs> trouble left, right and centre. Well, you're I know. getting kicked off here, Nick. This will, will make it a great deal worse. And, look, there are real issues about, especially young people, being drawn into 
uh, really dark parts of the web which involve abuse, which involve encouragement to suicide and things mm. like that. And although Lisa's right, this has been thought about for a long time, it was a case of a girl who'd committed suicide, mm. I think when Mrs. May was prime minister, that kicked off the current round of activity, but it's grown into a total monster. We all want to be able to do something to protect children. Parents have a role in this. I know it's difficult, but they do have a role. But we want to do something to protect what's, children. What's difficult about that? When you say parents have a role, that's difficult. I know it's difficult because you cannot be watching. Uh, uh, children are cleverer at the internet than the parents are very often. You can't be watching people the whole time. So I do understand it. It is difficult, but they nonetheless do have a role. And, um, and, and it's, we want to do something for children. Um, I don't think we can go much beyond that. It is difficult with age verification as well, because so you have to think about how you're going to do that. But this bill has grown into a total monster, and it should be, in my view, scrapped, and they need to go away and think about something very focused that helps children who are at risk. I'm worried about those people. Adults, I think, have to look after themselves. They know where the off switch is. See, Alan says, um, in his mind, it's not just about things like child safety, which he says is absolutely essential and it should cover that, but what he's saying is it should also cover things like scammers as well. Um, I mean... There is, is no it... such thing as a safe internet. There's no such thing as a safe book. And there's no such thing, in fact, as a safe road. No, I mean, no. You have to be careful. You have a responsibility, whether you're crossing the road, going on the internet or giving your details over the phone to some scammer, who, your bank details to some scammer who's rung you up, you have to have some responsibility. But Mark has emailed in. Mark has emailed in and said, this is all because some parents can't or, <clears throat> excuse me, or won't monitor their kids surfing the net. And because of these parents not doing what they're supposed to do, says Mark, now everybody else has to be subject to this intrusion into our free speech. He wants uh, this to be binned, basically, the, the bill that we're talking about, and that parents step up and take ownership of their responsibilities for their kids. Uh, so Mac is quite harsh on this, but Mac, um, what would you say to what Daniel was just saying, which is you can sit and monitor your kids when they're in front of you or whatever, but when they're off doing whatever they're doing, how do you manage that? And I say that with a smile on my face, so I'm quite harsh. I would just take my kid's phone off him, and if I wanted to get hold of my child for safety reasons, I'd give him one of those brick phones that I can call and you can text. And that would be about it, quite frankly. But then my child would probably get bullied on for being the only kid in the class without a smartphone. And that's one of the problems these yeah. days, Lisa, isn't it? That the kids, you can as a parent do your best to protect your child. And then your kid goes into the school. And then all the other kids there can basically do yeah. what they want and have what they want. And then your child ends up the one being bullied because of it. I, th I think we've got to be realistic about the internet and about smartphones and uh, the way technology is moving. Do you know... The next generation, you know, like your your son, he's going to grow up in a world where perhaps his peers spend fifty percent of their life on the internet. Oh, what a sad you know, world! Well, it is. I mean, I, I agree with you, but you know, we you can see it happening. You can see, you know, people working from home. People, you know, they will spend. I think the next generation is going to spend at least fifty percent of their time on the internet. Um, it's not a happy thought, but I do think it's a realistic one. Yeah, I mean, I see, because I, I do spend a lot of time around toddlers, for example, and I am astonished at how many toddlers I see glued already, and I'm talking toddlers, I'm talking like yeah. one-and-a-half, two-year-old kids, 
glued to iPads in restaurants with iPads there. Uh, I saw one the other day in his pram, chilling out, just with an iPad, like a couple of inches away from his face. The kid could barely even see what was going on in front of him on his nice walk on a nice sunny day because he was watching whatever cartoon it was that he was watching, and I found it a bit sad, really. Um, but let me know your thoughts on that. Are you of uh, Daniel's kind of side of the fence, which is, you know, get rid of this bill, let's pick it up and perhaps start all over again? Um, are you more with Lisa? Uh, do you have kids, by the way? How do you police what your kids do on the internet? And is it even something that you're concerned about? Get in touch. Let me know your thoughts. GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email address. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes. Now, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Scottish government is planning to house Ukrainian refugees on a cruise ship. I mean, I've got to say, it does sound a bit more glamorous than it actually is. Uh, but the point of all of this, you remember that everyone stepped up, wanted to welcome as many uh, Ukrainian refugees as possible. But I would argue that no one really thought through what happens with these people when we find ourselves in this situation that we're in now, which is months are rolling by, the war is continuing. What do we do next? Love that after the break. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes Co. with me, Michelle Jubry. Keeping me company tonight, Daniel Moylan, who's the former advisor to Boris Johnson, and Dr. Lisa McKenzie, who's the ethnographer and academic. Now, latest figures show that around 95,000 people from Ukraine have come to the UK as refugees. Many are living with British families under the Home for Ukraine Sponsorship Scheme. But in Scotland, they had something slightly different, a super sponsor scheme, if you like, and now it has been paused, with the Scottish government now proposing, uh, using, among other things, a cruise ship uh, to accommodate these people. Why? Because the number of people that have applied uh, using these schemes are vastly uh, more than was ever anticipated. These super sponsor schemes, by the way, are slightly different to what you would have, say, in England, because often in England what would happen is that you had to have a Hearst family before you could come, whereas on these super uh, sponsor schemes, uh, effectively the state, uh, the government was that Hearst. So what's happened, long story short, is that you've got lots of people now and nowhere to put them. Uh, to me, Lisa, I've got to be blunt about this, and I'm, I don't intend to be harsh because I know that a lot of people acted in good, in, good faith, good intentions. The war in Ukraine was horrific, mm. for, is, his, uh, uh, horrific for a lot of people, Ukrainians. A lot of people stepped up. Yeah. But I sometimes wonder, we got ourselves into a situation where people were almost trying to climb the rungs of the virtue signaling ladder you know, look at me, I'm taking one, I'm taking two, although yes, I'm taking yeah. ten. And what? No, no one really thought this through. Yeah. And now we find ourselves in this situation where we've got an awful lot of people that really have nowhere to be yeah. and to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. And I think Nicola Sturgeon really has to fulfil her promise not put people on, on cruise ships. And the reason I think she has to, and even if it upsets a wider population because you, what has happened is we have a lack of affordable housing right through the country from Scotland right down to Cornwall we have housing issues everywhere um, so obviously any of us that, that look that focus on housing or research housing we knew that this was this couldn't really work 
because we've got so little housing. We've talked before about um, the hotel situation, and I know there's been a programme on this channel this week about hotels, but I think what we have got to do is when our politicians make these... When they do this grandstanding, you, we have to hold them to account, and if that means uh, upsetting the population because... And, you know, in order to sort of get them to say, well, this is, you know, why did you do this? We need more housing. We need more resources, because that's the argument. Is I think Nicola Sturgeon should be able to account for this, actually. I don't think it's right that she offered this invitation out and now she realises that she hasn't got affordable housing, that she now keeps them on a, on a boat. I don't think that's the right thing to do. Well, so Scotland has taken in more than 7,000 Ukrainians, two-thirds of whom applied under the super sponsor scheme. The Scottish government committed to welcoming 3,000 people when it launched that programme uh, in March. So uh, the actions that have been taken at the moment, Daniel, you've got the chartering of a passenger uh, vessel which has 739 rooms where people can be temporary uh, accommodated. They're looking at the refurb of 200 uh, unused council properties to provide more longer-term accommodation, supported by £5 million uh, of Scottish government funding and things like that. Where do you stand on it all? Um, uh, well, first thing I want to say, I think people who've taken refugees into their home are extremely commendable and I give them every credit. But I also want to say that right from the outset, the sort of the leftish side of British politics was demanding that we take ever-increasing numbers of yeah. refugees into this country. And that was even, even because, in the, even despite the fact that in the early days, many refugees didn't want to come to this country. They wanted to stay in Poland. They wanted to stay closer to their own homes. But we were they were demanding we do this. And I think part of that was because they were uncomfortable with the way in which we were helping Ukraine, which was by providing them with armaments, providing them with training, providing them, providing them with the wherewithal to fight back. And I notice the SNP has now voted, I believe, to stop making its contribution towards the British armaments effort that is going towards Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this let's have refugees was, in my mind, for the, for the politicians, not the decent people taking them in, but for the politicians was a way of running away from the difficult choices they had. And now, of course, they have predictably fallen over on the topic. And I think we've really got to understand different countries have different roles in helping Ukraine face up to the monstrous things that are being done to it in the shape of this unjustified aggressive war. And helping with refugees is something that's fine for Ireland, maybe, but we need to keep the focus on supporting them militarily and not have it distracted away you see, in the I, way the left want to do. I've got to be honest, and I'm going to make my point very brief because, A, we're almost out of time, and, B, I'm taking it on a massive tangent. But I don't even agree with you when you're saying I think that we need to, as a country, focus on supporting Ukraine militarily because what's happening, everybody seems to be just obsessed with throwing millions, billions into Ukraine with things like uh, weaponry, etc. All that is going to do is help prolong a war. Everybody now, what that's should be helping do, Michelle, try to what, bring what this to a conclusion. To do, what that is going to do, Michelle, is give the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people choices about when they terminate the war rather than have the termination of the war imposed on them by the crushing artillery of Putin. 
And if you want the Ukrainians defeat, if you want the, if the Ukrainians want to negotiate the end to this war with Putin, they have to do so from a position of strength. If they want to fight on, we should help them do so. Because otherwise, you can give up completely. You just say, force wins. And that ain't right. Well, I say, we're going to actually have a proper debate on all of this at some point, because I think there's a lot to get into there in terms of how and where uh, and to what end aid is provided. But my concern with all of this uh, situation when it comes to the conflicts in Ukraine is not enough people are focusing on helping get this resolved. Uh, and I worry because the longer it gets prolonged, we're going to see, you know, dis longer displacements of people. We're going to see uh, more in-depth impacts in terms of this cost of living, the situation with people's gas, etc. It's in everyone's interest, surely, to get this uh, to a conclusion as quickly as possible. But I do digress from the conversation that we're having about Ukraini Ukrainians and uh, refugees generally in this country. So we're just talking about Scotland there, by the way. So we've got thousands uh, of Ukrainians, people, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, trying to work out where to put these people. Just to give you some stats about homelessness uh, in Scotland generally, every 19 minutes, the, these are according to Shelter in Scotland, every 19 minutes a household becomes homeless in Scotland. You've got 11,804 children uh, in households assessed as homeless already. You've got uh, 33, well, nearly 34,000 applications uh, as homelessness last year. So one of my problems with this is I get it, Daniel. People are trying to be kind. People are trying to help. People are trying to raise their hands and say, look at us, we're so kind to everybody else. But for me, I do genuinely feel that you've got to help people in this country before you start extending the hand of help out to everybody everywhere. There's a lot of problems in this world. There's a lot of conflict in this world. There's a lot of displacement in this world. But sadly and deeply unfortunately, there are an awful lot of problems in this country, people that need help in this country. And I just wish that those people were helped first and foremost. Anyway, that's my thoughts. You've heard the thoughts of the panel. Lots of you guys have been getting in touch as well. Thank you very much for that. Um, have yourself a really good weekend. I'm not in tomorrow. Um, I'll be back on Monday. Uh, but for now, have a good evening. Thanks for listening to Jubes & Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.